I invite you to join me uh, today, the last chapter of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we're actually going to be looking at the last few verses as we finish up uh, this book. Next week will be Palm Sunday, and then the following week will be Easter. So we will be focused on the, the death of Christ next week, and then on Easter Sunday morning, we're going to be rejoicing together in our risen Savior. Now, just, just a note so that everybody will be aware, we are doing multiple services on Easter and they are, we're shifting the time a little bit of the services. You'll be able to see that online. If you go to our website, we are asking people to register for our Good Friday service and for Easter Sunday morning. That's just so we can do a better job of controlling and people moving in and out of the, the building. So registering is just going to be for those two times, Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning, and those sign-ups are now available where you can sign up. Now, please don't pull your phones up and say, okay, Butch, I'll get back with you as soon as I get registered for Easter. Uh, no, you can do that when the service is over. Uh, you can tune out your ABF leader while you uh, do that, but, but don't tune me out this morning. All right. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So we are finishing up now, and we are going to once again look at final instructions. Uh, the last two weeks and then this morning, looking at the end of this book where the Apostle Paul is just covering a broad number of subjects as he speaks to the church there in Thessalonica. Well, I was in high school. I know that was a long time ago. And when I was in high school, driver's ed was one of the subjects you could take in high school. So I took driver's ed in high school. Now, those of you who have uh, ridden with me will not be surprised when I tell you I didn't get an A in that class. Some of you are wondering, did you even pass that class? But I assure you, I did pass the class. I remember the first time I was driving on the highway. It was in driver's ed class. And so it was right up here on Route 77. Uh, I was headed north. We had just passed the Arlington Road uh, exit. And there was a fair amount of traffic on the road. I, it wasn't rush hour, but there were cars beside me in both lanes. And as I looked up, suddenly, right in my lane, was this huge box sitting. 
that obviously had fallen off a truck or something. I didn't know what to do. There were cars on either side of me, so I just plowed through and hit the box. Right before I did that, I heard a sigh from Mr. Martin, my driver's ed teacher. <laughs> and when I hit the box, clothing just flew up everywhere, all over the road, way up into the air. I was going 65, 70 miles an hour, whatever the speed limit was back then, and didn't slow down at all. I just plowed right through the box. Well, after I did that, I heard a long sigh by Mr. Martin next to me and by the two students that were in the back seat of the car as well. And then he asked me this question. What do you think would have happened if that box were full of lead pipes? <laughs> I didn't know what to say. Obviously, I'm a little nervous at that point, and so I just turned to him, or just, you know, I kept my eye on the road, uh, and, and I just, and I said, I guess we'd all be dead. <laughs> now, no one in the car found any humor in that statement, and though it was not my best moment, that was all that came to my mind. Lead pipes, dead. Obviously, I was in need of instruction. I needed to be told what to do if you're driving down the road. And Mr. Martin made that very clear to me for the future of what he expected me to do, to slow down, not hit the box, wait and change lanes when it's safe. But I was in need of instruction. Uh, the people in Thessalonica are in need of instruction on how to live their lives so that they will please God. And so in these last verses of this letter, the Apostle Paul, I think, divides it into two parts. The first part is what God does, and then the second part, what we are to do. Let's look at what God does. In verse 23, again, it says, now may the God of peace. What does our God do? He provides peace. God is the God of peace. In John chapter 14, when Jesus was addressing the disciples on the night in which he was going to be betrayed, he said to them in verse 27 of chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God provides for us peace. He gives us peace with himself, so we have that vertical peace, peace with God. He gives us peace with those around us, so we have a horizontal peace with, with, with people, and then he gives us an inner peace. Because at the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God comes to live and dwell inside us. And He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And He gives to us 
peace. So he provides peace. Secondly, he sanctifies us completely. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he sanctifies us completely. Now, the word sanctify means to set apart. He sets us apart. Uh, This idea is, in him setting us apart, is that he makes us holy. Now, in this verse, he talks about how God does that in every part of our lives. Notice he talks about the body, the soul, and the spirit. And that has caused some theologians to come to the conclusion that man is a a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. Uh, Other theologians, and that's called trichotomy, other theologians come to the conclusion that we are two-part beings, that we are material and immaterial. Now, it would seem that we are more of a dichotomy with several subcategories there. For instance, in Mark chapter 12, we're told we're to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Four different areas there with which we are to love God. The idea here is, and it's You know, to me, it's no big deal whether you believe we're a two-part being or a three-part being. If you believe we're a two-part being, you recognize in that immaterial part, there's several parts that make up the immaterial. So I don't think this is anything worth battling over or arguing over whether we are dichotomies or whether we are trichotomies. But here is the important point, that when God sanctifies us, when he makes us holy, he does so for our entire being. Every part of us, through his Holy Spirit, is set apart that we might live lives that are holy. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 14, we're told this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, none of us can sanctify ourselves. This sanctification must come from God. So he sanctifies us completely. This whole idea of holiness is something he's talked about throughout the book. In chapter 3, verse 13, he says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 4, he says that each one of you know to control his own body in holiness and honor. And in chapter 4, in verse 7, he said, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So he sanctifies us completely. The next thing that he does, and it's it's right along with the sanctification, is he makes us blameless. That we are blameless before God. Only God can do that. Only through Christ dying on the cross and taking our sins upon himself can he make us holy and declare us to be blameless. 
And the word for blameless means that no one can bring anything against you, a provable charge against you. Now, people may accuse us of all kinds of things. Satan is going to do that all the time. And I constantly am reminding people that when you are living this life and dealing with different things in your life, to remember that Satan is a liar. And Satan is an accuser of the brethren. And we don't have to believe the lies of Satan. Let's understand where those charges are coming from. Because Jesus Christ took our sin upon himself so that we are declared to be righteous and blameless. And if you're wondering if that is going to occur, now notice what he says in the the verse. He says in verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. Paul has asserted that again and again in the book. And God is giving us righteousness, holiness. God is declaring us to be blameless. And I am so thankful that the God we serve, when he starts a work, he finishes it. Philippians 1.6 tells us this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He makes us blameless. Now, does that mean that we're made perfect here? No, we'll be perfect when we get to heaven, but not until we get to heaven. See, none of us are sinless, have reached sinless perfection here in this world, and we never will. Paul wasn't sinless. The Apostle John wasn't sinless. You aren't sinless. I'm not sinless. But that day is coming, praise God, when Jesus returns, and we are with him And when we will spend eternity with him, and then that holiness we seek for now will be completed. And we will be totally and completely holy and set aside by God. He makes us blameless. In verse 24, we're told, he calls us. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He calls us. Friends, you didn't come to Christ on your own. You didn't just one day wake up and say, I think I'll become a Christian. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But the spirit of God calls to us to be the children of God. And to as many as receive him, John tells us, he gives the power to become what? the children of God. God calls out to us for us to follow him. Thank God he calls us. And then next we see that he is faithful. Verse 24, the one who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. You know, others may abandon you God won't. Others may not be there 
at the moment you need them, but God will be there. Others may tell you lies and not keep their word to you, but our God always keeps his word. He is always faithful. We can count on him. The Apostle Paul, when thinking about that, when he was writing the book of Romans, became overwhelmed, and in chapter 8, in verses 31 to 39, he said these things. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, read that next part with me, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now think about that this morning. As we as a body prayed together and we were praying for one another, we have one in heaven who is interceding for us and praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, read this with me, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then Paul says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. That is our God. He is faithful. Now, what are we to do? What are we to do? Verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. We're to be praying for one another. The Apostle Paul, who has been forbidden to get to those in Thessalonica, because remember, Satan put a roadblock He wasn't able to get there. He had sent Timothy. Timothy was able to get there, but Paul wasn't. Paul will eventually get back there. But as he writes this, he is writing to the believers in Thessalonica, and he says, pray for me. Paul said, I need prayer. Pray for me. We all need prayer. The leaders of your church need prayer. The pastors of your church need prayer. All of our missionaries that we are supporting around the world need prayer. 
the members of this church, we all need prayer. So Paul just very shortly, succinctly says, brothers, pray for us. Then notice his next command. Verse 26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. We are to greet one another. Now, this isn't the only passage that talks about the holy kiss. Now, keep in mind, don't miss the word holy there. (laughs) Teenagers, this is not a biblical command for you to make out with your boyfriend or girlfriend. (laughs) That's not what's being talked about here. What's being talked about here is we are to greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, The holy kiss was a culturally appropriate greeting in Paul's name. There are still some cultures where people greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. I remember when I went with a missions uh, trip down to Argentina, and we were getting off the bus, and there were a bunch of believers there, and they were all coming up kissing us on the cheek. Uh, To say I was uncomfortable with that is probably (laughs) underestimated here. And the reality is, in those days, the greeting of the holy kiss was men with men and women with women. See, because often in those cultures, when they would meet together, the men would be on one side of the room, and the women would be on the other side of the room, separated from one another. Now, Obviously, in America, at least in our culture here, uh, greeting one another with kisses is not something that most of us are comfortable with, and it's not the cultural greeting that we have. The cultural greeting that we have is the shaking of hands, it's the hugging of one another uh, in a holy way. Paul says... This is important, and this is necessary. You know, one of the things that I believe has been so terrible during this battle with COVID-19 is the loss of personal touch with individuals. We have loved ones that go into the hospital, and no one's even allowed to go in and see them. God made us with receptors on our skin that respond to touch. Touch is something in order for us to be healthy human beings we all need. Now, please, I'm not saying this this morning and and saying that we should have a reckless disregard for health orders and things such as that. Uh, But at the same time, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. It just happens to be in the text that I'm preaching this morning. And we need to be able to greet one another. The reality is this. Watching something on Skype or on FaceTime is not the same as being there. 
being next to your brothers and sisters, being able to touch your brothers and sisters is something that is important for the health of the church as well. And we cannot remain forever isolated from one another. Now, if, if you're an individual and if you're watching uh, this morning from home and you have health concerns, I understand that entirely. And please hear me. I'm not telling you to disregard those health concerns. But let's also weigh in. And I think finally there are some voices starting to be raised in our culture that the restrictions may be more harmful than the disease itself with some people. We need to understand how this is affecting us. The Apostle Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, you need to greet one another. You need to show that friendliness. You need to show that love for one another. Greet one another. Next, share God's word. Look at what verse 27 says. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Very strong language. I put you under an oath. This letter that I've written to you needs to be shared with everyone there in the church. Share the word of God. Uh, I believe the Apostle Paul had some recognition that as he was penning this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that this was going to be Scripture. And that's why he can say, you need to read this letter, read it aloud in the church, share it with others. That's why as a church we read the Word of God that's why we encourage you to read the Word of God. If you want to grow in Christ, there are two keys that are shown to us right here in the passage. One is read the Word. The other is pray. And I may add a third here as well because you can't greet one another with a holy kiss you cannot greet one another if you're totally separated from one another. And I believe it is important for our spiritual health, for us to grow as believers, that we get together with God's people. And I am thrilled week after week as I see more people, come, as they feel it is safe, coming back to be here to worship our God. Technology is great but it's not going to replace the gathering of God's people together. The very name for church, ecclesia, means a called out group of people who are gathering together. And as a church, it is important for us to continue to gather together and share the word of God. Paul goes on, and he says in verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of God. I looked up this week, the word grace is used 118 times in the New Testament. 118 times. We are to show grace. 
we are to have grace. Over and over again, it is something that is emphasized. The unmerited favor with God. Nothing that we have done gets us the grace of God. They, ju- God just gives us his grace. It's like in some restaurants, if you're traveling uh, through the south, uh, you go in for breakfast and you'll notice a little thing of white stuff sitting on your plate. You might wonder, what is that? I remember the first time, I said, I didn't order this stuff. I said, what is it? Oh, that's grits. You don't have to order it. It just comes. It's just given. And so it is with the grace of God. It's the unmerited. Gracie's grits. Okay, here we go. So we have the unmerited favor with God. We need to accept the grace that he gives to us and show that grace to others. Well, his mother received a call in the middle of the afternoon. It was her son, Mark's teacher. Teacher said, Mrs. Smith, your son did something in class today that surprised me so much, I thought I should call you and make you aware of it. The mother grew worried. Her third grader was normally pretty well behaved. The teacher went on. Nothing like this has ever happened in all my years of teaching. Uh, This morning, I was teaching a lesson on creative writing. As I always do, I told the story of the ant and the grasshopper. Uh, She figured the mother wasn't familiar with the story, so she told her. The story is the ant works hard all summer and stores up plenty of food so that he can make it through the winter. The grasshopper plays all summer and does no work. When winter comes, the grasshopper begins to starve because he has no food. So he begins to beg, please, Mr. Ant, you have so much food, please let me eat too. And then I said to the class, boys and girls, your job is to write the ending of the story. Uh, Your son, Mark, raised his hand and asked, may I draw a picture? And I said, well, yes, Mark, you may draw a picture, but first you must write the ending of the story. As in years past, most of the students said that the ant shared his food with the grasshopper and they both lived through the winter. A few children always write uh, that the ant says to the grasshopper, no, Mr. Grasshopper, you should have worked through the summer. Now I have just enough food for myself. So the ant lived and the grasshopper died. But your son ended the story in a way different from any other child ever. He wrote, So the ant gave all of his food to the grasshopper. The grasshopper lived through the winter, but the ant died. 
And the picture at the bottom of the page, Mark had drawn three crosses. That's grace. That's what God did for us. He died so that we might live. And whoever puts their trust in him, whoever answers the call when the Spirit speaks to their heart, will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be obedient to your word. Help us to honor you in all that we do and say. May we glorify you, and we just thank you for your blessings to us. Help us throughout this week that we might be faithful to you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.